What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 193, you heard that right, episode 193 of Combos Court, and I am Combo. Go rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to Combos Court. Today's show, Derek Murray, director of scouting at Babcock Hoops, joins in to discuss the upcoming 2020 NBA draft. You could find Derek on Twitter at DMurrayNBA. That's D-M-U-R-R-A-Y-N-B-A. You know you could find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Derek Murray of Babcock Hoops. Welcome to Combos Court, man. How are you feeling today? I'm good. I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, always good to talk basketball, talk NBA draft. And hey, now that we finally have some uh, an order set for the lottery, uh, we can kind of get, get into it a little bit more. For sure. Uh, I've heard you say it on the podcast. I've heard you mention it on Twitter. The most overanalyzed draft ever, possibly. You said arguably. I would agree Argu- with you. Arguably, I think ever. We just have so much time on our hands. And again, it's nobody's fault. Um, you know, it's just the nature of the times that we live in right now with basketball being paused and push back, stop, start, all that stuff. So plenty of time for us as fans, as evaluators, and even as front offices, a lot of overanalyzing going on. But hey, it's the nature of the beast. So it what's is what your, it is. What's your process like? Because I mean, everybody has a different process. How many of these guys have you actually seen full game video on? Uh, of the consensus top 60, I've probably seen multiple full games of all of them. Wow. Um, well, some yeah, of them you could get done at the same time if they're playing against each other, obviously, and stuff like that. Right, yeah. You can watch them at the same time over the course of the year, especially guys who play in conference together. That's always really nice. Um, OU and OSU guys, just since I'm here in Oklahoma City, I get to see a lot of Big 12 in person and a lot of their out-of-conference games who come into town. And then I travel a little bit as well for some games. But this summer, we've been able to watch so much video uh, through Instat, Synergy, you know, whatever we can get our hands on. So ton of ton of full games on pretty much everybody. All right, so no combine this year. How valuable do you deem combine? And if the hit-miss rate is somewhat similar, will uh, decision-makers not think it's as important? So I actually loved when you sent me this question because I've never been asked anything like that before, but it made, you know, when I read it, it made sense. And it's a logical question. So I think we won't know for three or four years, how many hits or misses we have, just like any draft have to give us some time. So not only will it be a while until we know if anybody thinks it's less valuable, um, but because it will come back in that time and we'll have combines for the, at least we anticipate for the 21, 22, 23 draft. I see a hard time envisioning a world where NBA front offices don't value it as much. I think a lot of front offices value athleticism so much, um, and rightfully so, that I don't know if there will ever be a world where it's deemed less valuable. But it's a great question. Like, if there are just as many, if not more, hits now, um, it definitely it definitely can be brought into question because some teams draft – 
almost too much on physical upside and athleticism. 100%. On the tape, you can see. I feel like they made that mistake a little bit more maybe like 5 to 10 to 15 years ago than now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and a lot of that has to do with analytics and the development of analytics uh, within the front offices. So, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of guys still definitely live by the combine. So I don't ever think the value will go away, but it does pose a really, really interesting question. For sure. Um, a lot of people have Wiseman at one. I'm not sure who you have at one. Would you be skeptical of drafting a big in the modern NBA at number one? So well, I mean, tradi- I guess the well, the Warriors, I think every, it's a consensus that <laughs> right. you know, if they were one, you know, or when they get the pick, like they'll take Wiseman. But in general, you know, that's a that's a weird situation to be a top three pick. Right. So if you're yeah. if you're a traditional big and I'm going to take you in the lottery, especially in the top five or ten, you know, you're going to need to have multiple bona fide translatable skills for me to take you you know athleticism length and the ability to stretch the floor on offense and rim protection are the ones for me where if you can you can do two of those at an elite level or at least a projectable elite level you know i'll entertain that but your traditional post scoring bigs i would have a difficult time taking them in the lottery um, Wiseman's size and ceiling keeps him up there for me and then i also would be comfortable actually taking okongwu as another center in a lottery this year because of his strength, agility, and feel for the game. Um, he does those, he has great feel for the game and his strength and agility at 6'9, 250, like fantastic feet, fantastic hips, decent, not great length, but I think he, that's, that's not really traditional the way he slides laterally, though, right? Like, right. And that's yeah. what, that's why I think he's worth selecting because there's enough about his game that can be turned into a modern big. Um, and you just don't see guys move that well who play the center position very often so i do think he's one of the guys who, like you do need to go up and get him right i wanted to ask your uh, your opinion on killian hayes kevin o'connor actually had him number one on his big board which i thought was interesting he really varies a lot on everybody's big board what's his nba outlook so i actually had hayes as my number one guy on a big board for a long time wow. as well so i i was actually on board there with kevin um he slid a little bit for me but not much I think he's still comfortably my number two point guard in the whole class. You know, his high outcome, you've got a primary ball handler, primary point guard, um, great vision, great passing. He's worked on a step step back three, and I think he can hit the three at a decent level at the NBA level. Um, and he provides like great lineup flexibility. I think you can play him with a combo guard. You can play him with somebody who's just a two. You lefty, right? Some, he is a lefty, smooth right. too. Right. So I think you can play him with a variety of guys. He's shown – through his international basketball year-to-year development each season, there is a clear-cut path of, like, he gets better from this season to this season to now the 2019 season, the film we have in that one. So a three-level passer, one of the best live dribble passers in the class as well, very left-hand dominant, flashes of the right hand, um, and can score all over the floor. So I really like Killian Hayes. He's comfortably a top-five talent for me based on fit in the order of the lottery that picks have fallen, I think top 10 is comfortable. Um, He could slide a little bit, but there's enough teams at the top who need a point guard that I don't think he'll be on the board very long. And also a right hand is something you could definitely work on, you know? Right. And it's, it's kind of funny to me, somebody, they said, we're always harping on this kid about being left-hand dominant when there are right-hand dominant guards and we don't talk about that at all. Right. And I actually thought thought that was pretty interesting. So I don't mind that he's super left-hand heavy. Um, yeah. His Man, development Manu curve was right. His, <laughs> his development curve has showed me that I think he's going to be able to improve in whatever he's asked to do at the next level. I just saw that Melodon slid a little bit on your uh, 
on your list. Why was that? So he, I worry about two things, the physicality with him. Um, he is six, five, you know, decent length, not great, but I worry about the physicality. And then a lot of the film we've watched, his passing has come after he makes it to a complete stop. His live dribble passing just is not very good. And there were times with Asville that his, you know, he needed to come to a stop and then survey the floor to make a read. And if you have to slow down the game a little bit for you at that level, I worry about it at the NBA level. So that's not to say at all that, you know, he can't. And again, sliding for me doesn't mean I don't like him. It means I took him from the mid first to probably the back end of the first. So I think he's still worth a first round selection, just maybe not as high as I had him before. Okay. Okay. Derek, we'll stay on international prospects. Um, when they give me those Luca Denny comparisons, I cringe. I cringe a little. I cringe a little. But, but I as mean, you look, should. I mean, as you yeah. should. Um, how much of Denny's rise has just been because he got to play basketball against people? Yeah, and I think it absolutely played a part into it. Another fantastic question. I think a lot of people fall victim to recency bias, even though we may not see it or you know even want to admit it down the road when it affects our decision making. But him being able to play during the summer definitely affected some people because it's all they got to see and during that time he played really really well yeah he did he did he mvp of the israeli league i think right yeah israeli league and the big thing for me is like his big swing skill is going to be his three-point shooting he's 100%. six foot nine athletic can run point forward a little bit so whether or not he's gonna be able to step out and shoot as a four is going to be the key piece for him and i pulled up so in the 12 games since returning Denny shot 32.8% from three, 21 of 64. So enough. And the line's a little closer. And the line's a little closer. Mm-hmm. But right. before, before the break, he was shooting 27%. Okay. And he made, during, during his time off, he went to social media hard and made clear, like, I am working on my three-point mechanics. I am working on my three-point shot because he got feedback from teams and knew that that's what it was going to take. So even though it was 12 games, you know, not a huge sample size, his mechanics were much cleaner. And it was evident they had been working on it. So 27% to 32.8, again, not huge, but it shows that there's something there to work with as a shooter. And not only that, it shows the mentality to want to get better at your weaknesses, which is important for a young player. Yeah, this kid just wants to win all the time. He's an ultra competitor, eats, sleeps, breathes basketball, um, fiery on the court. And he's the kind of guy you want on your team. Like he's competitive. He's not afraid to get in the face of his teammates, which again, as a rookie is not going to fly. But I think long-term, you know, that's the kind of guy you want on your bench and on your roster because he wants to win. Yeah, let's shift to Okoru. Um, I think it's so tough because we saw – I mean, I don't want to compare him to Kawhi, but we've seen Kawhi's improvement. There's a good chance he'll never be as good as Kawhi. But where do you land on his offensive potential and just his ceiling in general? Yeah, so his ceiling – well, I, I think just to start with this floor, we know we're getting on defense. Exactly. The, that's why I was best, asked about the ceiling, you know? Yeah, the yeah. best lockdown defender in the class um, – will probably be able to in a couple of years shut down just about anybody he wants to at the NBA level other than maybe the elite on offense. He does everything at a good level, but he doesn't do anything at such a high level that it's like reliable at this point. He's, he's a great cutter, great slasher. He's improved as a driver during his freshman season at Auburn. Um, good finisher as well because of his athleticism, his live dribble passing is actually really impressive. Uh, either hand, he he sees the floor really well and can deliver passes, which I think he, he'll be able to facilitate on offense. 
like Denny, the swing skill is going to be the three-point ball. And the three-point numbers were not good at Auburn. But, again, he's another guy where the mechanics are clean and his work ethic is there that a lot of teams are willing to bet on him as a shooter. So I don't think he'll ever be a number one, op- number one option on a contender. I think the ceiling is a number two, and that's if the shooting really, really comes through. I think you're probably looking at an Iguodala-esque role for him on a championship team. The co- I mean, that's, not, that's, a, that's, a, that's a high ceiling, though. You know? It is. It's a, it's, yeah. it's a high ceiling. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what you want, just reliable on both ends of the floor. But, you know, I don't need you to be my best offensive player. Right. It's interesting. Like, the, it just depends on how good of a shooter you believe, like, a Denny will be or even a Mello or an Okoro, where you'll draft them and what you think they'll be. Like, it just depends on, like, how will they develop as a shooter, you know? Right. Right. And yeah. a lot of that, you know, there's not any way – there's no perfect science to project – how well a kid's going to shoot at the NBA level. Cause each of those guys have their own issues from three, but their issues are incredibly different. So right. you can take in, you can take right. into account the free throw shooting, the touch on floaters, touch around the rim mechanics. There's no science really. I think I worry about LaMelo's shot the most because it's so low elbows flare out a little bit. And, you know, at least a Coro and Denny, they have very clean, no wasted movement mechanics. And I think that's easier to work with, at least early in the development process. So I think all of them will at least be league average or so scorers because they're going to be willing to work to get there. But Okoro's ceiling, absolutely. It will be – the ceiling will be highly dependent on, on the three-point shot. Yeah, LaMelo's like a feel-for-the-game type guy, like great feel for the game. And like Trey Young was a feel-for-the-game type guy. And Steph Curry was a feel-for-the-game type guy. But those guys were shot makers from the beginning. That right. was the difference. I mean, they, this obviously, LaMelo has a little bit more size. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if that could translate to the NBA level, his shooting. What did you learn about Cole Anthony's game in his time in UNC? Um, and how do you think his game will translate to the NBA level? Cole Anthony is an interesting one. His team at North Carolina really didn't help him at all. Um, and that's facing, you know, yeah. And you could say the same for Anthony Edwards, right? You could, you could, yeah. but more, more so for Cole Anthony, I see it as an issue because Edwards was still able to create it for himself at a level that made you go, okay, this is one of the best kids in the draft. Right. Anthony didn't, you know, Cole Anthony didn't do that. And again, it's not his fault that teams were able to pack the paint on him and completely eliminate him from using his athleticism at the rim. Uh, athleticism came into question in traffic. And I think it really was put on display how short his arms are. He does not have plus length by any means. And it showed in traffic, especially at the rim. Um, I never want to be one who holds a poor assist number or assist per game number against somebody if it's not necessarily their fault. Because judging just by assist per game, like that's not necessarily fair to a prospect because if player A is on a team of snipers, player B is on a team of a bunch of me's at the three-point line, he's not going to hit anything. You know, that does, that's not indicative of the passer he is. So I think Anthony will be able to play, you know, a good combo guard spot at the NBA level, drive a little bit of offense, um, drive and kick there because athletically I think he'll be able to score in the paint. He's just a natural scorer. He's got a scorer's mindset. So I think he'll be able to put points on the board. But I'm not buying the hype quite as much as some others. Uh, we have him at Babcock Hoops. We have him mocked at the back end of the first, I believe, at 20 to Miami right now. 21, whichever, whichever number of the Heat are. And I think that would just be a great fit for him. He's a hard-nosed competitor. He wants to win. Doesn't care what you think as far as 
you know, if he's trying to win, that's all that matters. And I think that fits the, fits the Heat culture really well. Um, they're going to need a point guard for the future pretty soon. So that, that wouldn't shock me as a landing spot there. New York City guy, I'm rooting for him, but the hype just isn't the same for anybody, I think, when it comes to Cole. Like, I don't think anybody is hyping him like they did when he was coming out of high school. Right. And that's where it's really interesting, you know, high school tape versus NCAA tape or FIBA tape versus EuroLeague for guys. I think it is important to take, you know, any film you can get into account when you're evaluating a player. And yeah, Anthony's high school tape and USA tape, I mean, it's so good. He just dominates. So if someone does stretch on him or reach on him and take him higher, I would totally understand because the tape is there to back it up. It just wasn't in North Carolina. Right. I have an idea with where you'll go with it. Who are some of the best shooters in this draft? So two guys come to mind immediately for me. One is Aaron Neesmith. And I think we all kind of understand that he's right. the best shooter. I think he was 52% from three, but that's not a number you want to use because it was so few games that right. like, that's just not going to happen. No one's ever going to shoot that high. Um, but I do think that, you know, it's indicative of his potential. I think you're looking at a 40% guy from three in the NBA, runs off all kind of screens, all kind of actions, um, high release, beautiful mechanics, um, landing consistent almost every single time. Like it's exactly what you want in a 6'6 shooter. Defensively, don't know entirely what you're going to get. I think he's overhyped a little bit as a defender. But Neesmith, number one for me. And my second one, I really, really like Isaiah Joe from Arkansas. I okay. really like him as a shooter. Uh, 6'5", uh, good length. And he's just got one of those easy releases where anywhere on the floor, it's just a flick of the wrist and it's just beautiful out of his hand. Off screens, pull up three, catch and shoot, doesn't matter. He can hit him from anywhere on the floor. And he actually hit, decided to go back to Arkansas and then a couple weeks later decided to redeclare for the draft. And I was actually really excited about that. So Isaiah Joe is one of my favorite players in the class and um, great feel, great basketball intelligence uh, and, and his shooting ability makes him a must pick for me. How's the rest of his game? So defense, he's not going to rack up a bunch of steals or blocks, but his activity is there because he feels the game so well. He's always in the right position, uses the length he has well to disrupt on and off the ball. You would notice, like you, you wouldn't notice it in the box score, but watching the game, you know Isaiah Joe's on the floor. Guys are rising, guys are falling. How much of that? I mean, nobody's playing basketball. Oh, well, some people are playing basketball. Obviously, you said Denny was playing basketball, but how much is of that is because of intel? For us, at the, at this point, it's the biggest mover for people uh, about okay. Kakoops. That's that's the reason for for most of the movement. We have we pretty much had our basically big board set a while ago. Um, but the more we talk to teams, when we interview players, you find out who teams like or don't like, and you find out why. And sometimes you interview guys and the intel's just not good there. You do background work on guys and other, other people you interview and you walk away and you say, you know what, I will do anything to get that kid in my organization. So a lot of our movement right now is based on intel, as well as based on what teams are telling us as far as who they like. You know, if we like a guy at the hypothetically 10 to 15 spot and then we talk to 10 teams in a week and literally not one of them bring up this kid's name that might be time for us to think about and then kind of dive into that player more um or there let's say there's a guy we're low on and then we talk to five teams in a week and every one of them like him 10 spots higher than us you know that could be a reason for movement as well because we do talk to teams a lot and get as much information as we can but 
you know, you don't want to overanalyze the film so much that you almost talk yourself out of your original thoughts because a lot of the best evaluators in the world, their guts are correct. Not all the time, but a lot I think of these that, guys Yeah, I think that's in life. Correct. I think that's in yeah. life. When you have a certain amount of experience in something, you should just go with your gut, you know? Right. And I think a lot of teams and a lot of guys are being talked out of their guts. I, I actually talked to one scout who said their front office has almost eliminated scouting as far as film for this class. They're gathering as much intel as they can. But from a skill perspective, they're done. They know their order. They know who they like as far as purely basketball. They're not going to overanalyze and go back and ruin their gut feelings and the boards that they had ready in June at what would have been draft day. Right. You would think they would just have so much more time. That's kind of the opposite approach because, I mean, people, especially without the combine, you just be think you would think that people are just digging really into that video, you know, and going crazy. Right. Just overanalyzing. Yeah, so some, and that's where it's kind of interesting to see what team – they're going super overanalyzing the film. And some teams, you know, some guys in front offices are already looking to the 21 draft. So it's just the, the varying kind of ways they're handling it is actually really interesting to hear from people. Do you see overanalyzation with Anthony Edwards in particular? Because I feel like they're just trying to find things. Like when I watch him play and I just think about him in NBA space, like I can only see good things happening. I've said it in the past. I don't really see like how he's not going to be a good NBA player. If he falls, it is because of non-basketball-related intel. There is enough in his game. He's probably, I think he's the best shot creator, maybe the shot, best shot maker in this class, um, can get anything he wants because he's just a phenomenal athlete. 6'5", I think I saw 6'9", or 6'10", arms as well. Like exactly what you want in a score as far as an offensive driver. Uh, there are some intel questions, honestly, nothing glaring that we've heard that would make me pass on him or not draft him in any sense. Uh, but it is going to be fit for him at the top. I don't foresee him being on the board long at all. Right. You know, they said uh, Ben Simmons didn't play defense at LSU. They said Luca was playing too many video games. I just really feel like it's it's one of those things when it comes to Anthony Edwards. And I, if I was – I would take Edwards at number one for most teams, me personally. Probably not the Warriors – but I think most other teams, I would go with Edwards, you know? Yeah, I, I can see it for just about anybody else, just like you're saying, except the Warriors. And, again, so the knock on Edwards a lot is the defense, to your point. Like, that's what a lot of people knock on him. For me, it was a motor issue and a care factor, not an inability to play defense. Like, if you're just a defensive liability and I have to worry about you or hide you, that's one thing. But that's not going to be Anthony Edwards. If you can get him to key in, especially in year one or two, where he's not asked to carry the offensive load, and you can kind of tell him, hey, I don't need you to drive the offense, but I need you locked in on defense. His size and athleticism will actually make him a you know, pretty valuable defender just as long as he's keyed in mentally. Right. This was, I mean, this is so random, but that was my thing with Mello, not, Carmelo, not really now, but a few years ago. I was just saying like, hey, just focus on defense. The offense is going to come easily. Like, just put you on a basketball court. Play right. simple. Like, you're just falling into 20 points easily. So, mm -hmm. Edward, same thing. Concentrate on defense. The offense is going to come, and I think it's really right. going to work out for him. A few yeah. more. Um, I have this crazy theory. Um, I don't know if you agree with me. If the Rockets win the championship this year and we're just shooting a whole bunch of threes, I think they're going to move the line back. No, I, I don't, I'm not hearing anybody else saying that, but what do you think? What do you think about my theory, Derek? I don't think they'll move the line back, but okay. it wouldn't shock me if eventually – somebody introduced a vote for a four-point line. That's the, that's the part that I think – I wonder if the NBA will get there. I mean, Damian Lillard, he'd hit so many four-pointers, it's not even funny. I mean, he could just beat you by himself. He already does beat some teams by himself. Give him a four-point line, he'd be unstoppable. 
Uh, Trey Young as well, Steph, when he gets back. Like, these guys, sometimes they hit shots. You think, you know what? almost wouldn't mind like experimenting with a four-point line. So I don't see the NBA line getting moved back, um, especially when they just moved the NCAA line up to – it's like right at or maybe a quarter inch shorter than the FIBA line. Don't remember if it's like the exact same line. By the way, by the way, I called that one too before. I said they got to move that yeah. line back for spacing, and that was before they ever did it. That's why I'm yeah. kind of going with it. Yeah, like it, that helps the game. Even if guys aren't making them because, you know, a lot of people will say they're – they're not really great shooters at the NCAA level. A lot of them, it still is conducive to spacing if guys are just right. shooting them, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I don't hate the idea of a four-point line. I am in some <laughs> way a bit of a traditionalist with any sport. Well, no, um, you're not so. if you like the idea of the four-point line. No, Derek. so, like, that, that's, why, that's why it's weird for me that I entertain yeah. a four-point line because that at first glance, anybody who knows me, they'd be like, there's no way you like that. You're going to hate that idea. And then you watch Dame pull up in Orlando – a couple times a game, just drain him, and you think, you know what? He deserves four points for that. <laughs> Random. What do you think about the Elam ending? Uh, Elam ending, I think it's really exciting. Again, the traditionalist in me does not want that to become a thing in the NBA, but it's exciting. And I think, what's, was it in the, the TBT this year that there 100%. were actually some really exciting games? Um, and I turned every, like, I watched most of those games as well, and it's exciting. Um, I could understand it, but. I think at some point that's a that's such a drastic change. I don't know if the NBA would be willing to do that. But as far as ending itself, I think it works. I think it's incredibly fun to watch, and I actually like that it's been implemented in other tournaments. Thoughts on a shortened season in the NBA? As far as next year? In general, do you like it? I like it from the sense of, you know, a lot of guys don't like playing back-to-backs. And if you shorten the season in the number of games just for the sake of back-to-backs, like I understand that. You know, some people don't like the fact that guys sit, load management, whatever you want to call it. And I understand from a fan perspective, you know, coach perspective, front office perspective, why you wouldn't like it. Um, I wouldn't mind a, you know, 60, 65, 70 game season, you know, if somebody shortened it. I don't know. I think it's just going to be up to the owners as well because it, it, it's a business. And I think the players and owners, if they can find a middle ground to where, the money works and the back-to-backs can be lessened and it's conducive to playoffs and keeping fans happy and ownership happy. I don't think there's anything negative to it. Who surprised you most in the history, in the history of you analyzing the draft, a player that just, you know, you're like, wow, I can't believe he became that player. Anybody come to mind? Honestly, I did, I worried about the bust potential for Porzingis. Really? Coming out. Wow. I did. But because he is playing so well and has showed the value, it makes me buy Pokusevsky in this class. Oh, yeah, that's because right. Because he, he's got shades of him. You know, not the same player by any means. But Poku's so young. He's so skilled, already seven foot. I, he's a little more point guardy even than Porzingis, right? He's a little more yeah, point guardish. I mean, Poku enjoys handling the ball. And he has phenomenal feel for a seven-footer. But he grew up a guard. And then with this growth spurt, that's still the skill set that he has. And he's still growing into his body. Is that, the um, Lamar, is that a Lamar Odom kind of situation? That's kind of what happened to Lamar Odom, even though that was years ago. He honestly, grew, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think AD did the same thing where he was right. a guard and then halfway through high school grew nine inches. Um, so that the Porzingis kind of effect on me, I guess, makes me really like Pokusevsky in this class. Derek, great stuff. Uh, let the listeners know where they can find you on social media and everywhere else. For sure. My, my Twitter handle is D Murray NBA D M U R R A Y. 
NBA. Uh, while you're at it, follow Matt Babcock and Babcock Hoops as well. We're always trying to push stuff out, uh, the newest content for everybody. We actually interviewed Lamar Stevens. Um, we just got that up for the senior from Penn State as he prepares for the NBA draft. So check, uh, check my stuff out. But, again, follow anybody. Go follow Matt and Babcock Hoops account as well. Derek, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon. Andrew, thank you very much, man. Anytime. Thank you to everyone who listens to Combo's Court across the globe. And big shouts to Derek for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app. Also, take a screenshot of this episode. Post it on your IG stories. Tag me at 1-2-Combo so I can share it. Also, man, tell a friend to tell a friend about the show and be on the lookout for episode one, nine, four, combo out.